Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everybody, to Dragon Quest FM. My name's Austin. And my name is BJ. And this week's episode, we're talking all about Dragon Quest and religion. Ooh, I don't know why I made the spooky noise. <laughs> like that's that's not that's not what really. Ah, that's better. <laughs> that's better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Dragon Quest games, religion figures into all of these games at least in some way. And so in today's episode, we just thought we would kind of talk about the way religion plays differently in all of the mainline games, but also kind of Yuji Hori's thoughts on religion and Dragon Quest and all that good stuff, too. Yeah. We probably should start with the first games in the series, like DQ1, 2, and 3. Uh, these are not especially religious. Uh, they're, they're more just kind of tales about good and evil, uh, even though there's churches that kind of have like a Catholic medieval house of worship vibe, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, really, and and they they don't really like play in very much. They're just kind of there, but it fits the medieval kind of uh, atmosphere and world that they've built. Yeah, and even in those first few games, you know, you don't really go to churches to save your games the way mm-hmm. you do in later in, in the later entries, and so it's kind of like the churches are set dressing, I guess, to to have yeah, the whole really. like, medieval town vibe going for it, right? Now, I can't remember. It's been a while since I actually had to do it, but I know in, in 2 and 3, you have to get resurrected at churches. Do you have to do that in 1? No, there's not party members, so you just restart. Never yep. mind. That answered my own question. Yeah, you do use them uh, for resurrection, and also, you know, Priest uh, becomes a playable class and character in Dragon Quest 3, so we have to yep. at least mention that, is that it kind of the church, I guess, becomes more important in that you can actually play as a priest and run around and heal people. Which I love. I love that class. Like, the priest is one of my absolute favorite classes in all the games. I always have a priest in my party whenever possible until I have to upgrade them. Oh, you don't like the upgrading, like, the sages and all that kind of stuff? I like them, but I actually like the priest, like, in terms of the look and everything better. I always upgrade the them to a sage or whatever when I can because they're ridiculously powerful but I like the priest better. Yeah. And, and Kirill, who's probably the most famous priest <laughs> yeah. of, of them all, is pretty good. I mean, we both talked about him a lot in our Dragon Quest Four episodes because we liked him as a character and a priest. Yep. I, I'm more partial to Sage myself than Priest, uh, just because Sage uh, usually gets better healing spells and more powerful, like, uh, offensive magic. Yeah, they do. So then, starting... And Dragon Quest Four, right, is the first one where you actually confess in a church. I think so. Yeah, I think Four is the one where you don't have to find a king, and you can go in and confess your. Uh, it's always funny to me because you're confessing your sins for this. Basically, you're confessing everything you've done, and they save for it. Like I love it, but I think it's in Four is the first one you do that. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. Because in three, I've been playing it on the Switch, and I automatically went to a church, and I didn't have the option to save. It was just to resurrect and purify. So I uh, had to, I just started using the quick save. I mean, I don't care that much about the adventure log because I can quick save. So it that's actually uh, why I think that it's four. Yeah. So I looked it up, and you can. It's starting with four. I just wanted to double check ourselves because I was kind of in a similar way. When I was playing the mobile games of 1, 2, and 3, I used the autosave function so much that it kind of mm-hmm. cuts out your need to to visit a church or the king. <laughs> yeah, it does. And it's so nice. Like, I really wish that Dragon Quest, of all of them, like, of all RPG series, I really wish that you could uh, save anywhere you wanted to because having to do it at a church uh, is honestly very annoying when you're playing some of the later games, like 11. I want to save and I mean you get campsites too but I mean like in dungeons and things and 11 thankfully has auto save so I mean there are some definitely quality of life improvements uh, to make 11 feel more modern yeah I also just wanted to mention I know we have it here in our notes too is about the uh, the whole confess aspect of Dragon Quest Mm -hmm. games is pretty interesting because you know you go and, and you confess to like a nun or a priest or somebody all that you've done Almost like you're confessing your sins or something, and it's a nice uh-huh. play on it's a nice play on words, but it but it almost kind of has like some subtext there, you know. With I don't saying, think it almost has subtext. I think it, it it is straight up there, and what it is is I love I love that you're confessing your sins and you're you're writing these adventures down and everything that you've done, good and bad, along the way. Um, it kind of reminds me of the East games, uh, since they're all like retellings of uh, Adol's travel logs uh, that he wrote down, and you know all this stuff happened in the past to him, and so that kind of uh, I like that feeling about dragon quest too that you're going through this and you have the church recording your you you have the church recording your adventures and everything that you've done along the way for posterity like that's what these adventure logs are uh more than uh, just being a game mechanic that they play into uh the things that you're doing and the action that you're taking yeah and i always like i like when games do that kind of thing we're saving it's kind of like an extension of the world itself. Yeah. You know, like you go to a church, you confess all that you've done to the church and, and they're writing it down and saving it for you. Kind of like in one of my favorite saves is like the Moogles that save for you in Final Fantasy nine. Yeah. Where you talk to them and, you know, they open their book and they fly up with their little quill and they, they write it down for you with everything you've done. And I like games that, that do that where they where it's just kind of an extension of of world building instead of just like, you know, standing inside of a question mark that's lit up, like in Final (laughs) Fantasy VII, for instance. I think they do that in Trials of Mana as well. I can't remember. Um, But I know you you can save at, like, statues, at goddess statues, but I can't remember if they actually say anything in the remake about it being like uh, you, you confessing or that the God's light, goddess's light is shining down on you or anything like that. Uh, but I know that's how you do it. Like I like stuff like that too, more than just the um, more than just the question mark that you walk into um, tales of Vesperia. Does it kind of that they have the uh, notebook 
that you're uh, saving, writing everything down in, and all the save points are these giant magical floating books in a sphere. Mm-hmm. Same for uh, the Trails games. I mean, everything is recorded in your notebook. When you save, it's got uh, your journey and synopsis and everything. So it's uh, something that that always just I notice, and it makes me happy whenever uh, it's something that's not just a shiny spot on the ground. Yeah, it's not all in Dragon Quest games. It's not all bright, happy, going to churches kind of stuff because there's definitely like bad the bad guys in Dragon Quest games, okay? Like the first one had Dragon Lord, which kind of goes along with Dragon Quest. Mm-hmm. But then after that, Dragon Lords kind of give way to like Demon Lords and Demon Lords give ways to Lords of the Underworld and that gives way to like Lord of Hell. And yep. so there's definitely a general progression here. <laughs> like, like at some point, uh, it's just going to be Satan. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you you fight what is essentially the uh, you always fight the the Lord of Hell. So, I mean, it's kind of Satan anyway. Um, but like, even the big demons, even the big enemies at the end are arch demons and things like that, where it's uh, straight up out of uh, like religious terminology. I'm not sure how it is in Japanese, like what they're actually called, like what the translation is. But I know in English, they definitely have a religious uh, connotation to them. Mm-hmm. And like, it's weird that some games, it's like uh, they changed it like for censorship. Like that's one of the things that makes me curious about uh, how this is in like China and other areas in the world. Because um, like World of Warcraft, they had to change things from hell, H-E-L-L, to fell, F-E-L, really early on in the game uh, for censorship reasons. It was easier for localization and stuff like that uh, to have like Fellfire rather than Hellfire to uh, worry about and uh, like just different things. Like I know they actually, I think at that point they changed uh, like some of the Hellfire to Fellfire to green to accommodate it too. Like it's uh, it's just an interesting uh change for some censorship and just world building too i mean it, it it's when you do something like that it's also to establish a fantasy world but it's not uncommon to have to change it from like lords of hell so it's interesting to me that uh, dragon lord became demon lord and stuff like that in the u.s at least that it doesn't usually transfer uh, into the more religiously connotative or however you would say it yeah well i mean well, and Dragon Lord doesn't literally become Demon Lord. I mean, he's Dragon Lord. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, I was just kind of clarifying what you said there. But like just introducing those kinds of villains as opposed to continuing with like uh, Dragon Lord, Dragon Knight, that kind of thing. Which is really like, weird that World of Warcraft would change that because, I mean, there's so many JRPGs that I played that came out way before WoW did that had no problem having Hell and stuff like that in it. Yeah, there were things like I remember in uh, I remember specifically in Upper Blackrock Spire there was an uh, there was an item called the Hellraiser that you got from from one of the mini bosses in the in in the dungeon and one of the patches specifically called it out that Hellraiser had become Fellraiser and that they had done a sweeping change from uh, language across there and through like warlock spells and stuff where even though they're demons and they're still called demons they actually took the word hell out of stuff it was uh it was one of those changes that i'm pretty sure they said was for censorship reasons in uh, other other areas but i'm not sure yeah weird so dq7 8 and 9 are all especially uh religious focused so we're kind of going to be focusing on a lot of those in this episode 
uh, because you and I have talked about this. I mentioned it uh, on my blog at one point. It's kind of a flyaway comment. And then I think you brought it back up again in one of the uh, earlier episodes we did. Yep. Is that because of the way seven, eight, and nine are so religious, we're like, why, why aren't seven, eight, and nine known as like the Almighty trilogy, right? Because you have, yeah. you have the Almighty in seven, you have the Almighty in nine, and in DQ eight, it's not necessarily as much about heaven and God the way that seven and nine are, but the church plays such a huge part of the main plot. You know, it's almost like mm-hmm. the Vatican and all of this kind of stuff that plays into the plot of Dragon Quest eight. And so all of that seems to tie together in a nice religious bow, the way four, five, and six, let's say, kind of tie back to Zenithia or one, two, and three tie back, back to Erdrich. It seems mm-hmm. like seven and eight and nine have a lot more in common than a lot of people talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not really talked about. It's like when I first started getting into the trilogy, or when I first started getting into Dragon Quest in general, I was uh, I was seeing a lot of stuff about how it was broken into trilogies. And, you know, you have the Erdrich trilogy and the Zenithia trilogy. And then everything that I was seeing was like, and then there's 7, 8, and 9, which are just kind of uh, standalone games. And then you have 10, that's the MMO, and 11 uh, has just come out. And I was like, okay, it's weird. They didn't do a trilogy thing with them if they did it with the first six but i didn't think anything about it and then you and i talked about it on here and it's like yeah and after playing them it's like yeah that's that's what they're focused on like that's the the unifying factor here is that uh, you're fighting god in dq7 you are uh, an angel who has been fighting like fallen angels and dealing with the almighty directly in nine eight is dealing with the church and uh, and uh, corruption and things like that so it's like these are most certainly a religious trilogy but nobody talks about it and especially, you know, like nine, nine has the Celestrians. There's the mm-hmm. little people with wings, which are basically just reskins of the Cirrus, who are the angel people in DQ7, who are basically just the Zenithians. Yes. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's normal for DQ to reskin things oh, and right. use them. I mean, that's great. That's one of the things we love about it. But absolutely, yes. Where they actually tie in with the Almighty in this one, as opposed to like the Zenith Dragon. Yeah, where it's not maybe a unifying location like Zenithia and it's maybe not a unifying hero like Erdrich, uh, but it does feel like there's definitely some connections here. And, you know, DQ, DQ nine and is kind of more like heavenly celestial deals with cosmic stuff. DQ eight is more about, you know, the church here on earth and, and kind of the more human aspect of religion. And DQ seven is kind of like a bridge between those two because it deals a lot with the kind of the human aspect of it. But then it also, especially late in the game, turns into like a much more like cosmic, heavenly, mm-hmm. you know, celestial thing. So you start off with, you know, goddess Rubus in the earlier games. You, ha- you have a goddess uh, that is kind of seen as like the, the, the deity figure here in the earlier games. And then that kind of transitions over to more of like a male deity. You have, so DQ7, I know you mentioned this, but you even, you can... You can literally fight God in in DQ seven. Uh, the the Almighty, uh, he shows up, and I mean he's God, so it's like a friendly uh, it's a friendly battle. Uh, but you do have the option uh, of doing that. You know, it's a bonus dungeon in the post game. Uh, you go up, you can talk to him, and 
Uh, you can't and, you know, fight him if you want to walk up and be like, hey, God, let's fight. And if you can do it in 20 turns, I think it is. Yeah, uh, it's when you get uh, you get a reward. OK, I haven't gotten there yet in DQ seven, so I haven't gotten to the post game. Oh, yeah, it's extremely it's extremely late in the game and I, I haven't done it myself. Uh, it's just one of those things that are, like picked up on, you know, over time because I haven't done. Oh, I thought you did. No, I haven't done a whole, whole lot with the post game of seven. But yeah, if you if you take if you challenge the Almighty, and I think you have to beat him in twenty turns or less, you get a reward, and then he goes over to your uh, your monster island. What's it called? The Haven. The Haven, yeah. The the it's not Heavenly Haven, is it? It's I think it's just Monster called, Haven. I think it's just called Haven. I don't know, but anyway, yeah. He sh- he he goes over there and uh, will like hang out uh, with you. And you get in the 3DS version, there's some changes to it. Like I think you get like, like an extra fragment that goes into some of the like mm. 3DS post game. I don't know. I haven't. I have not explored the post game of seven uh, to the extent that I have explored the post games of a lot of these other Dragon Quest games. <laughs> right. Even though you've beaten it uh, twice now, you just haven't done the post game stuff. Well, the first time was because I didn't like seven very much. The second yeah. time it was because I I. I wanted to replay it and ended up liking it a lot but there was just so many other games i was playing at the same time and with Mm -hmm. seven i was just kind of chipping away at it and so i may go back and and do the post game i'll probably use my first save uh because i definitely uh did a whole lot more like grindy stuff and getting vocations higher uh, on my first playthrough that i did in the second one because the second one it was like i knew what to expect so i didn't put as much emphasis on trying to grind up vocations and you know, I didn't experiment as much with like uh, monster vocations and things like that. Yeah. So one of the things that I always appreciate about these kind of games, about Dragon Quest and uh, others that actually take on religion like this is that they like, OK, so religion and fantasy, a lot of fantasy novels is usually approached in a very negative light that it's always like this, the corruption in the church or there's uh, there are, are uh, zealots that are trying to do something. And DQ doesn't really approach it that way. One of the things that I've noticed in DQ 7, 8, and 9 is that it's not approached as though religion and God are always bad. Like one of the things that I, I love the Xeno games, especially like Xeno Gears and Xeno Saga. But one of the things about it is that God is a destroyer. Like that's something that always comes in there. Like in Xeno Gears, you end up fighting and defeating God because, you know, destroying things and uh, <laughs> wiping out humanity and uh, other planets. And in DQ, like that's not really the case. Like it's not this uh, wrathful God. Usually you talk about corruption within the church sometimes, but even then throughout the games, you'll run into priests and nuns and uh, just everywhere along. And they're nice people trying to help you out as opposed to being one of these fantasy tropes. And I think that's one of my favorite things. Like I'm not terribly religious or anything myself, but I grew up that way. And so when I I noticed something like this where it's not being uh, putting the the church and uh, deity as a villain. It really stands out to me because it's so normal for it to be uh, evil. And even like you said, when you go into a DQ seven, it's like God's not the bad guys. Like it's like, hey, guys, 
you want to fight God? It's like, hey, you want to come live at my monster farm? It's not a uh, like, oh, no, you're going to put the world into darkness because you have fallen somehow. It's like, nah, you want to come take care of my sheep? <laughs> it's it's a much nicer take on it than usually happens in fantasy. Yeah. And even even Dragon Quest eight, which deals with some of the corruption of the church and stuff like that. It's not like, let's say, Final Fantasy ten, which is all that the ch- church has completely been founded on a lie and is right and functions to suppress people. It's that uh, in Dragon Quest eight, it's that the church, uh, there is just some like individual human corruption within the church. <laughs> yeah. It's not the institution itself. It's the people who make it up, which is uh, one of the, like, like I said, that's the reason I like the Dragon Quest take on it the whole Final Fantasy X thing where it's the entire basis of it is it does fall into that trope. While you were talking kind of more about, about this, I know we're towards the end of the episode, we're going to get into like Yuji Hori's thoughts on religion and Dragon Quest and all, but I did want to mention uh, that, you know, Yuji Hori, this is a quote from him. He said that, uh, that religion is more of a lighthearted addition uh, to Dragon Quest games. It's more to generate, it's more to generate an atmosphere. In the world of Dragon Quest, there's no specific religion that it associates with in any way, shape, or form, whether it's Catholic, Protestant, Muslim, whatever it may be. The world is just protected by this overarching entity. Uh, so so for Yuji Hori, it seems like he doesn't associate it with anything. And it is very obvious when you look at it that things are pulled from from all sorts of religions. You know, you have right. you have like rebirth and reincarnation and things like this that that can come from like Buddhism, Hinduism. You have, you have stuff that could be perceived as like Vatican and Catholic beliefs and everything. And then you also have, huh? Catholic. Yeah. I was about to say Catholicism and Catholic and it came out Catholic. Okay. I was like, (laughs) wait, that's one I've not heard. Yeah. I was halfway through Catholicism and partially into Catholic and it just came out Catholic. Gotcha. Which sounds like I'm choking on something, doesn't it? (laughs) Catholic. It's Gollum. Yeah. <laughs> we hate it. Catholic, Catholic. It burns us. What's taters? What's taters? Uh so anyway, but but I like that Yuji Hori kind of it kind of goes in hand in hand with what you're saying in terms of that he sees it as more just it's more lighthearted, uh, even by his own admission, than it is yeah. in a lot of other JRPG series. Uh, so I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, we do have a lot more religion to talk about, but before we get into like DQ8 and 9 some more and even more Yuji Hori quotes, uh, let's pause and have some shameless self-promotion. Oh, we're shameless, so, so shameless, shameless. So I'm going to mention our Patreon page really quickly. You can find that at patreon.com slash dragonquestfm. You can help support our podcast. We will love you for it. We'll also send you a sticker for it. You can get all sorts of other goodies. Uh, and so be sure to check that out over on patreon.com slash dragonquestfm. Also wanted to mention really quickly for the community spotlight is the Lauren Co interview uh, at, over at RPG Gamer. We're going to link to that here. Be sure to check that out. Elman Dean Todd, he uh, got to interview her, which is super awesome. And I'm only slightly jealous of. <laughs> yeah, just a little jealous. He actually messaged uh, the Dragon Quest FM Twitter account ahead of time, asking us if we had any questions uh, to that we would like to ask 
Lauren Cove, which was just super nice of him. Uh, so, yeah. so really quickly, thank you so much for approaching us with that. Uh, so BJ and I did submit a few questions. So be sure to read that interview and also try to guess which questions were mine and which questions were BJ's. <laughs> Ooh, Ooh, yeah, it's a little fun game. So maybe you'll be able to tell, maybe not. But either way, it's a good interview. It's really cool. Very thankful uh, that we got to submit a couple of questions for that as well. So be sure to check that out over on uh, RPG Gamer. And over on the geek to geek media side of things, our network, uh, just wanted to really briefly mention that we're revamping the network Patreon. We're going to be doing uh, an exclusive uh, kind of video game magazine. Uh, we're working on that. There's a preview and sample of it up on the Patreon, and you can check that out at geek to geekmediacom slash Patreon. Yeah, and it's different. It's different from the Dragon Quest FM Patreon. It's not supporting yes. the podcast. It's more think of it more as like a magazine subscription, basically. Yes, it's kind of very similar to like Nintendo Force, which we've mentioned on the show uh, before. It's very similar to that kind of thing, where it's essentially a monthly magazine subscription. Yep. So, and this is the first month of it. So, uh, check it out. So, what's the first issue about? Uh, it is remakes and remasters of games. We're going to be talking about uh, Final Fantasy remake, uh, the the Trials of Mana remake. We have stuff for uh, Ducktales uh, and uh, Super Mario remakes that we may be expecting this year. Uh, and it's kind of a storytelling. It's not a, quite a uh, not a reviews kind of thing, but more of an essay about this kind of stuff. Uh, if you've ever read like boss fight books, it's kind of been inspired by that. That take on gaming it's kind of like features reading like gaming features instead of yeah like yeah really news. yeah and there's there's a dragon quest 3 article in there as well right a feature for dragon quest 3 yes steve whitcamp is going to be writing about dragon quest 3 and all the remakes of it so that one will be fun for y'all yeah i just wanted to bring that one up since it's a dragon quest podcast <laughs> i knew i'd forgotten one and of course it was that one <laughs> so heading back over into our dragon quest and religion discussion we talked about eight corruption in the church all of that kind of stuff but then let's go to what is probably the most religious of all the dragon quest games which is dragon quest nine the dragon quest nine it, i mean it's all about angels and heaven and the almighty and i mean it's literally about heaven <laughs> yeah it literally is like you start the game and you're training to be a guardian angel like that is how everything starts with it so like you can't get more religion into dq really than this one we mentioned this, I believe, back when we were doing deep dives into Dragon Quest Nine. So if right. you're interested in seeing more uh, Dragon Quest Nine kind of discussions, be sure to check out those deep dives that we did toward the end of last year. Uh, but that's Corvus. Uh, you know, Corvus is definitely this fallen angel, uh, Lucifer character. I mean, he's an angel, and then he falls from heaven and totally turns into this demonic figure that you have to defeat in order to beat the main story. <laughs> yep, absolutely. It's uh, He is one of the most engaging characters, though, for all of Dragon Quest to me. Like, I love him, and I like his model on uh, in the game, too, when you're fighting him. Like, I like pretty much everything about Corvus. Yeah, and I, I like him a lot, too. He's one of my favorite... Uh, he's probably my favorite villain... Uh, after Sorrow. Sorrow is still my favorite villain in all of Dragon Quest, but Corvus is an extremely close second. I mean, Corvus just, it, his whole entire story just makes for a very interesting uh, backstory, but it's also one that 
for an angel is especially human. (laughs) Right. And and I think a lot of people can relate to, you know? And I think he is far more engaging than Sorrow. I know we talked about this during our deep dive of four, but Sorrow doesn't come across as a character that I can sympathize with at all. So it's uh, when I see Corvus, he's the one that really makes sense to me. So what you're saying is you are really, uh, you can really relate to Satan. <laughs> I can. That's the it's takeaway. Like, <laughs> it's true. Like you remember, I don't remember if you were in one of my classes when I tried to teach Paradise Lost. Um, I had students who would not come to class because of the way that I described it, that Satan was a sympathetic character and they refused to even be exposed to that idea. And so um, it was as one of those things like, yeah, he is. He's a sympathetic character when you look at it uh, through certain lenses. Yeah. Y'all go read Paradise Lost if you haven't. Or don't, man. Ugh. It's very hard to read, but the story I think is worth it. Yeah, I only I, taught it for one semester because it was very hard to get people to read because of that. But the the narrative is there. You should totally experience it at least. Uh, yeah, maybe or just read the Spark Notes. And yeah, no offense to Milton, but it's not exactly the easiest thing to read. It's not some light reading, you know. It's, it's not. not like, it's not like you know, kick up your feet on a Friday night and get into some Paradise Lost. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Like that's that that's very true. So what does DQ say about morality? Talking about BJ relating to Satan here. <laughs> uh, what does DQ say about uh, about morality? I think personally, DQ tends to have very stark differences. There's a fine line between the good and the bad. And I think that's often illustrated by sometimes flat villains. You know, you have yeah. you have these good guys and then you have these bad guys who are just bad because they're supposed to be bad. And so I think I think in terms of just overall morality, I think Dragon Quest definitely draws a line in the sand and says, this is what is right and this is what is wrong. But I also believe that, especially later entries, I feel like tend to have some gray areas. And I think Corvus is a good representation of that because, yes, he's very much evil, but he's only evil because of bad things that humans did to him. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I mean, even Sorrow is one of those villains like that that you talk that you've talked about. Like his whole thing is not that he is evil, it's that he is uh protecting someone he loves. Yeah, and and, and Sorrow and Corvus, I mean, their their kind of backstories really mirror in a lot of ways in that, you know, Sorrow humans hurt his girlfriend Ruby. Corvus, it was his girlfriend uh, Serena, right? I believe her name was Serena, just like the the Dragon Quest Eleven character. It's been a while since I've read that. I've played that one, so I don't remember. I, I'm like 99% sure her name is Serena. So, you know, Sorrow has Ruby, Corvus has Serena, and then it's like those things, you know, human actions are really what kind of drove them to be evil in the first place. Uh, so I think there are some gray areas, but I think overall Dragon Quest is fairly black and white with with where they land on like morality and everything. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, most of the time it's a big bad guy who is a big bad guy and they're evil for the sake of being evil. And like, they're talking about destroying the world because they need to destroy the world for 
some reason that they don't really talk about. And it's one of the things that Corvus and Sorrow uh, and even uh, spoilers in Dragon Quest XI, uh, there are things that are going on that are more gray area there. And it makes it feel a lot better. It makes it feel a lot, uh, a lot more realistic to play through, I think than uh, just dealing with these big bads because I think the best villains are the ones that uh, think they're the ones doing the right thing that that they don't they aren't villains because they're evil like there are very few people in the world who are truly evil who just want to hurt other people there are very few people who just want to watch the world burn and uh, it's that's why I like villains like Corvus who think that they're doing the right thing here like they get turned onto this path, they might get warped, but in their own mind, they they might still think they're the hero here. Yeah, and also also the best villains are the villains that you can kind of see a little bit of yourself in. <laughs> right. Not not like not Corvus. saying not saying that you know uh, everyone is like inherently evil. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're but, right. But but you know the best villains are the ones that you can kind of relate to a little bit. Even if you can't relate to Corvus because of, you know, humanity being so mean to his girlfriend, maybe Corvus's favorite food is ramen and your favorite food is ramen. So you're like, hey, I can relate to that guy. Okay, so seriously, one of the my favorite things, I think you hate it about it, but one of my favorite things about Final Fantasy 15 is how much Gladiolus loved his cup noodle. Like him loving cup noodles so much made my day because it was just super normal. Like I don't usually like product placement. I didn't care for the the Coleman stuff at the campsite really, but him loving cup noodles, it was like, yeah, you know what? Ramen's good. And uh, I like that he just had this thing. He's like got excited when he saw cup noodles. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So even if it's only cup noodles that kind of bond you, but I mean, Gladiolus isn't a bad guy. If that I mean, he's not a bad guy yeah. or anything, but man, if Arden had just gone crazy over cup noodles, I would have loved it even more. <laughs> so, uh, so let's go ahead and talk about Yuji Hori. What does he say about religion and everything in his games? Earlier, I read a little bit of a quote from him. That was from a, a Polygon article that we're totally going to link to in this right. Uh, in, in this show notes as well, because it's a really interesting interview and it goes all sorts of places. Uh, so it's very interesting. And religion, you know, is a very small part of this interview. Uh, but, you know, he did talk about the, some of the lightheartedness and how he doesn't see it necessarily representing any certain uh, religion. Uh, I did think it was interesting in this interview, going back to kind of the very start of this whole episode, uh, the idea of, of churches. Basically, in this interview, Yuji Hori just says, yeah, the reason the reason we implemented churches is because it was getting kind of too difficult for the kings to be the save points in these games. Ah, yeah. And I, I mean, it's true. You know, the first Dragon Quest game has that one king. I mean, the world isn't <laughs> super gigantic, but it's pretty gigantic to only have one save point in the entire game. From a developmental standpoint, it totally makes sense that, hey, you know, you need to you need to find something that is more spread out in order to save. And so churches are an obvious answer to that just because every major town would probably have a church, right? So you could totally mm -hmm. just have a church there, whereas every major town probably doesn't have a king. So from that kind of standpoint, it totally makes sense. I thought it was interesting that uh, originally uh, other people involved with the development of the game 
we're kind of like, well, why, why can't it just be the end? Because an end is another obvious choice, kind of like the mana games. I mean, you go to an end uh, and mm-hmm. you, you can save in those. So, you know, that makes sense too. But then kind of, I guess, thematically, the whole idea of confession uh, just kind of worked well. Uh, with what they were going for. And so they kept it as a church. It's been a church ever since. (laughs) And one of the cool things about this interview is that it's not just uh, Yuji Horii, that the uh, DQ11 game director, Takashi Uchikawa, uh, was talking about the churches. And one of the, my favorite quotes in this entire thing, let me see if I can pull it up again now, if I can find where the churches things is, churches things is that one. Uh, where he's talking about confession and uh, he he says the whole act of confessing at a church that's something that I admired it made me want to try it myself it was like getting a feel for a culture from somewhere far uh, from where I lived also it helped me build my imagination to a certain degree of what western fantasy could be like he said that a lot of children when he was playing Dragon Quest probably felt like they were tapping into and experiencing a different culture through Dragon Quest so I think that's really neat that something like us as western players look at it being like yeah there's a church in every town especially like you and me being from the south where the uh the the joke is that there's a church on every street corner it's interesting to see how it's normal for us to have a catholic church in every town or you know a thousand different protestant churches in a block radius of each other but it uh for somebody like the games director of DQ11 growing up, that was something unique to this series that you see. Like, oh, that's a different culture. I get to do this. And like you said, that's even something, uh, it made me want to try it myself. Like, I hope to to do this. He went and confessed at a church just to do it. Because he, I've never done that. Like, I just hope that he did. Uh, but that that is interesting that what, what we as Westerners kind of perceive as like an obvious everyday thing, it seems like a, a fantasy uh, to to Eastern players. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, I don't remember if it was here or if it was on geek to geek that I talked about it uh, because of talking about RPGs so much. Uh, someone on Discord, I believe, had linked uh, a JRPG history thing, like a history of Dragon Quest and the JRPG in uh, from YouTube. It was a short video. One of the things that it talked about that I didn't know going in was just how uh, important like Western RPGs were at the time to the creation of the JRPG as we know it now. Like Wizardry and Ultima getting imported is what Yuji Hori played uh, that made him want to make his own version of this that became Dragon Quest. And so it was it was Western fantasy that inspired something that we now consider as being something from the East. It's just this weird, interesting circle of uh, trying to play something from a different culture and really feel those kind of things through it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if you take, like, just exploring the history for a second, if you take, so you you can kind of start with, like, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, which leads you to Dungeons and Dragons, because, I mean, those guys made Dungeons and Dragons because they wanted to play in Lord of the Rings. (laughs) And, And then you take Dungeons and Dragons and lead it to, like, Ultima and Wizardry, and then you take that and lead it to Dragon Quest, but you then drive through every JRPG that's kind of come out since. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely like just a, a very clear timeline here for like fantasy. And I think it all kind of goes back to, to Western fantasy, but uh, definitely Tolkien, who was, I mean, then was also inspired by like Norse mythology and everything. If you really want to take it back. All if you take way. it all the way back, you get into like Scandinavian myths and, uh, and fairy tales. Yeah. 
So there you go. I know we're almost out of time, but I did want to mention this just kind of here at the end of the episode while we're talking about Yuji Hori. This always stood out to me. Uh, I want to talk about the monument that Yuji Hori got in his honor. Uh, it's over right. uh, in his hometown. Uh, you know, it's it's the sword. It's Erdrich's sword. It's Erdrich's shield. And there's a little slime there. It was the inspiration uh, for the cover of my book, the Dragon Quest book, uh, now on sale on Amazon.com. <laughs> but but seriously, I mean, you know, it's it's a cool image. It's a cool looking monument. You and I have both talked about wanting to to get out there and see it for ourselves. There's two different things about the monument that have always stood out to me. And one is that, you know, the, the kind of inscription, one of the inscriptions, I guess I should say, on the monument is the Yuji Hori quote, uh, life is an RPG, so have fun, right? Right. Uh, which, which I really, uh, y- you know, you can put that on my gravestone too, because I, I, uh, I think that's a really good sentiment. But it kind of goes hand in hand with that whole kind of Dragon Quest ideology that, and, and you know, Yuji Hori's kind of like, pathos i guess is it pathos or ethos <laughs> i think it's ethos <laughs> i think it'd be ethos yeah uh, after i said it i was like no wait that's ethos so i think it kind of goes along <laughs> with yuji hori's ethos here and uh, kind of the lightheartedness and everything of it but also the day that this monument was going up and yuji hori was there i thought it was interesting that you know he, he talks about uh you know the sword and the shield and all being there and about the slime uh it was added there for luck and, uh, and he was quoted as saying, as kind of laughing and saying, but you can pray to whoever you want for the monument, you know, talking about people coming out for pilgrimages yeah. and stuff. And so, uh, you know, that's something that I definitely can get behind, you know, that idea of just, it's not being representative of any religion that people can just kind of pray to whoever they want. Like, I, I really like that. It's just so, it's the same thing that makes me love the fandom in general. It's just that it's open and welcoming for no matter what you do, like whatever it is, whatever it means to you to, to go there and do this, that's just as valid as anybody else's. And that's the way like this fandom has been like everyone's ideas and, and personalities are welcome. No matter if you've been here for, uh, since 1986 or from uh, 2016 or 2020, like whatever it <laughs> is, like you're, you're accepted and welcome as part of this and just as valid as anybody else. Yeah, I like that. That's a good place, I think, for us to end for today on that kind of positivity. Uh, So thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. And remember, if you want to talk to us directly, we're on Twitter at DragonQuestFM. You can find us sometimes on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DragonQuestFM, Patreon at Patreon.com slash DragonQuestFM. And if you want to talk to me directly, you can do that. Uh, I am on Twitter at DragonQuestAustin, and be sure to read my Dragon Quest blog. You can find that at DragonQuestAustin.com. And you can find me on Twitter at, at @professorbeege. You can listen to my other podcast, the geek to geek podcast at Geek2GeekCast.com. And if you would like to check out the rest of the cool geek to geek content that we all put together, you can check that out at Geek2GeekMedia.com. We also have a Discord and Slack uh, that where the links are on the main Geek2Geek Media site. So check that out. Come join us, talk to us, and have fun. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.